Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, a new leader for Georgetown's Beck Center. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world, and you'll learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake William. Here's what's happening this week. A recent breach of DC HealthLink, a healthcare insurance exchange in the nation's capital, has exposed the sensitive information of at least 21 current members of Congress. The breach was reported last week after a House of Representatives official warned lawmakers that information could have been exposed. The group behind the hack has posted a portion of that stolen data online. New York State will soon publish a revamped portal that will make it easier for employers to give staff early notice of mass layoffs or office closures. The portal is expected to go live in April and marks the latest milestone in the state's Department of Labor's four-year technology modernization plan. Connecticut is installing new sensors along ramps to highways that notify police of wrong-way driving. The new sensors are part of a new public awareness campaign by the Connecticut Department of Transportation called, quote, One Wrong Move, and are a response to recent uptick in wrong-way crashes and deaths. You can find these stories and more at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The Beck Center for Social Impact and Innovation at Georgetown University has a new director. Lynn Overman, a former senior advisor at the U.S. Digital Service and former tech policy leader in both the Obama and Biden administrations, will take over leadership of the organization that focuses on data and digital services. One of the early priorities for Overman will be improving digital delivery of benefits like unemployment insurance, nutrition assistance, and housing vouchers after $11 million in new funding. Overman tells StateScoop's Benjamin Freed about what it's like to take over the job. Most of my career, I have either been directly in public service or adjacent to public service, ranging all the way from direct service when I started my career as a public defender up to obviously kind of the most senior levels of federal government. Um, And I think the consistent theme across all of those different jobs that I've had is trying to figure out the most effective ways to help deliver critical government services to the people who need them the most um, and trying different levers to achieve that the most effectively. So, you know, nothing, frankly, nothing can beat the federal government for scale. And I truly appreciated the privilege of being able to work both in the Obama administration at the White House and also in the Biden administration this most recent go round. Um, but the Beck Center, like candidly, was kind of the only thing that would pull me away from that job because I think a couple of things are pretty unique about it. One, the team itself is just absolutely incredible, the work that they are already doing. And I think that is very much reflected in the confidence that the funders are showing in them by these recent gifts. Um, I'm also really inspired by the uh, kind of mission that Alberto and Olga Maria Beck gave the center when they first started. Uh, And that mission was very simply, go have impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reason that I appreciate that is that I think that the ways that you can have impact can change over time. uh, And that allows us to do some experimentation. If we keep the goal of impact in mind, we can try different tools and different levers to get at it. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I I think the thing that's most attractive about the Beck Center, where it is now and where I think it has a chance to really grow, is they are very much focusing in um, at an area where I think there's a lot of need, which is this intersection between how do we help governments effectively deliver services, leveraging these tools of data, technology, and digital delivery. Um, Because if I've learned anything in all of my stints in government, while government has come a long way in understanding the need to use those tools, there's still a lot of work that needs to get done and actually helping them do it. So, uh, um, so I, I would say we've done a great job of evangelizing the benefit of those tools, but there still is a lacking, uh, kind of a lack of capacity 
to actually do that across all of the areas that need it. Yeah, of course. So I want to talk a bit actually about your, your time in, in both the Obama and Biden administrations, because I think uh-huh. those are two, I think, fairly momentous periods for digital, for digital government services. You know, certainly during the Obama years, that was kind of the, the real first rise of digital government. And obviously now for the past, you know, under, under the Biden administration, there's obviously been so much work done. Uh, you know, responding to and moving out of moving out of the pandemic. Um, you know, uh, you said you you started as a public defender, um, but you know, we can talk about your your time in the Obama administration. You know, how did you wind up in this you know in the you know more you know digital services oriented role? Yeah, that's a that's a very fair question because I think uh, much like doctors, lawyers are not well known for their uh, adoption of technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was. I was certainly in that category as well, and I actually ended up, so the first time I was able to come over to the White House, so not surprisingly, when I first joined the Obama administration back in 2009, I was in a policy advisor role at the Department of Justice, uh, which obviously quite, you know, fit quite well with my background and my subject matter expertise. I was able to join the Access Justice Initiative, which was a new entity over at DOJ. It was super fun. Um, And in that time working at Access to Justice, I actually was able to interact with some folks over at the White House, specifically um, in the office of then Vice President Biden. Um, And so I was invited over. You, Ben, Ben, I'm sure you're kind of a a little bit of a creature of Washington and know what details are. Yeah. I was detailed over to the Vice President's office for a year, and I worked um, with the um, first ever, and I think only ever, White House advisor on violence against women. Um, and in that year that I spent over in the VP's office, um, actually ended up working at the intersection of uh, domestic sex trafficking and technology, which is kind of a very strange little niche area. But uh, there was a real challenge that folks were facing. Um, there was this kind of rise of online advertising, and local police departments were really struggling to try to understand how they could. Like they knew how to go out on the street and find people who may be victims of trafficking, but did not know how to operate in this new digital world. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, able, these are some of my favorite words to say, I was able to work with DARPA. <laughs> yeah. And I did a lot of initiatives like looking at that intersection. At the time, um, Todd Park had just started as CTO over in OSTP mm-hmm. at the White House. And so I worked with uh, one of Todd's team members and Todd directly on that project jointly. So when my year at the vice president's office came to an end, Todd did not want me to stop working in that area. And so he pulled me up into the office of the CTO. And to be clear to everyone involved, I had zero knowledge of technology at that point. Um, They were not bringing me to the CTO's office because I knew how to do anything. They they were bringing me because of the subject matter expertise. Um, So it was kind of, I'm like the classic conversion story So I got to the CTO's office um, and started to learn about all of the kind of what at the time seemed like very magical tools that they had to try to um, effectuate some of the policy implementation and delivery that were so important to me. Um, So I I have always had one foot in policy world and one foot in digital delivery world. Um, I think the thing that the kind of unifying force across those things is at the end of the day, I'm a problem solver and I'm very strategic. Um, but that ability to kind of translate between those two worlds has been incredibly effective in the Obama administration and then kind of remained, it, it yeah. remains a necessary skill set. Right. So you, you stayed in the same, you know, similar kind of roles uh, throughout the, the, the rest of the Obama years. And then I know you, you were involved in some uh, education and uh, justice equity, you know, uh, equ- de- uh, equity uh, projects a lot, you know, really data focused. Kind of yep. Um 
And now, and now, now that you were, and then you came back into government uh, with President Biden. Um, you know, you came, you know, you came back into government at you know one of the, the you know truly darkest times in in our history. Um, from a digital services perspective, you know, what was the you know what what was the what was the mandate when when you got in? Yeah, I mean, well, first. Obviously, really the first year, everyone was very focused on making sure that all of the incredible amounts of funding and bipartisan funding, I will point out, that um, had been authorized by Congress actually made it to the people we intended it to get through, get to. So I spent the first year um, in the administration as a senior advisor to Secretary Vilsack um, at USDA. USDA obviously oversees SNAP and WIC benefits, so a critical safety net um, nutrition benefits, including school lunches. Um, which, you know, they really, the, the agencies were really forced to innovate very, very quickly in how they were delivering those services um, to try to reach kids. I mean, I think the statistics and the evidence show that uh, for many low-income children, the breakfast and lunch that is served at school is often their only consistent meal source. And when kids weren't in school, trying to figure out how to solve for that problem became a top priority. Um, so there, some of it in the early days was very much the, like, how are we ensuring that all of these funds and all of this, like, pivoting that these programs needed to do were actually kind of meeting the need that we saw. Um, and then there was, you know, with the American Rescue Plan passed, there was another whole swath of new funding that came in the door. Um, and so trying to figure out, like, where were the places where digital delivery would most maximize that implementation? And, and frankly, also in the face and grappling with the reality that our agency partners, our career staff, were just overwhelmed by all of the work that was required to do for them and that many of them had lost a lot of career staff in the preceding years. And so they were both kind of under capacity and, and, and dealing with a lot more work than they were used to. So also trying to figure out were there ways that we could use digital services or digital tools to kind of alleviate some of the burden on the staff? Mm. Yeah. And and I think that's actually a, a great uh, dovetail to what you're going to be doing with the Beck Center, um, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, especially because they are now so focused on those kind of, on those kind of social social safety uh, safety net benefits. Uh, we're at a time right now in most states um, the the COVID era expansions of those programs have um, ha have started to or have have, have dialed back, um, but obviously there are still Millions of people around the country who, you know, whose lives depend on on these services. Um, you know, what what do you see? Uh, you know, these 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 states is you know needing to do, and and where where can you come in then? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will say, I mean, the the one of the many joys of walking into this role is there's so much unbelievably good work already underway, and I would say particularly in this space around the digital benefits network and the digital services hub, uh, because to me, those are kind of the two key keys here. One is what are the tools uh, and approaches that government should be taking? And then two, what is the capacity they need to have internally to actually be able to do some of these things themselves? Um, I think there's a, there's a range of different really critical needs that are coming to the fore that the team is already addressing and where I'm eager to find opportunities to expand our work. Um, you, you mentioned kind of the um, ratcheting down of benefits. I think that's going to be particularly uh, challenging in the space of Medicaid. So the public health unwinding, um, where states after several years of not having to recertify people as eligible are going to have to do that. 
I don't think we have any current work in that space right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of the work that we've already done may be applicable in that space, just particularly in helping um, state governments be thoughtful about kind of eligibility and re-enrollment approaches. Um, we know that the uh, SNAP benefits, the kind of increase that went into place um, or as a result of, of COVID is gonna get wound back. That's an interesting one because I don't know how much, I mean, just continuing to ensure that the people who are eligible for SNAP are receiving it, mm -hmm. um, making the application process as simple as possible, ensuring that um, all of the efforts to combat fraud in this space, which are obviously very critical, but like not unintentionally increasing the burden or unintentionally kind of keeping eligible folks out of the process because we're over-indexing on fraud, I think is an area of, of particular interest. And I think that's a, a very true statement in the unemployment insurance space as well. But, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, better than any of us, so many of these programs, you know, they're all state administered uh, and there's a tremendous amount of variation across states. So I think there's, you know, things that we at the Beck Center know because we have expertise or so we have experience in the space, uh, but also a tremendous amount of innovation and, and good thoughtful work that's uh, out in the world. And I think that's one of the great benefits of the network and the community of practice building work that the center does as well. So both kind of playing that connecting and convening role and also servicing opportunities from, from folks who are doing good work so that other people might want to pick up. So I know we're, we're only talking, we're talking, you're only four days into uh, your, this new role, <laughs> but you, you did, but you know, you, 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 I think you said at the start that, you know, the Beck Center is like one of those organizations that, you know, if it came calling, you, you'd leave the White House for. Uh, so you know, just you know, just a few days in, are, are there are, are there any you know programs specifically that that it's that you've got uh, you know now now in front of you that that you're like oh yeah like this is all you know I, we got to really like do more of this and or like you know you know what's what are, what are, what are the things that excite you most about about yeah uh, that Beck is doing? you know I definitely I mean all of I love all of our programs deeply yeah. and I think there's there are opportunities in all. Um, one thing that I am particularly interested in, I, I will say I'm coming to hypotheses and I can't obviously commit to, <laughs> to implementing them, any of them until I know what our, have a better grip on our funding and all of that. So I think there is uh, everything that we're doing now is valuable and should uh, get all of the resources it needs to grow and expand. And, and that's where this recent round of funding has been so critical and so useful. Um, I suspect there is more work, particularly in the benefits space and thinking even a little bit more expansively about benefits. One area that I'm really interested in is um, figuring out, we know for almost every single safety net program, there are uh, significant portions of the population who are eligible, but who never apply. Mm -hmm. I don't quite know what the work would look like in that space, but that seems like a ripe area to explore. How can we actually increase the number of folks who are aware of and applying for and receiving these programs? Um, I, as, I, as I mentioned, I think, you know, the most interesting thing, development that I, I saw between the Obama administration and the Biden administration was in the Obama administration, it took a little bit of a shock to the system, kind of a crisis in our in our efforts around healthcare.gov uh, for people to realize that they need people with these skill sets at the table. I think that had, that lesson has been thoroughly learned. And I think having resources like the U.S. Digital Service, um, and GSA's Technology Transformation Service has gone a long way to helping um, with high priority projects, but there's still a need both at the federal government and in the state and local government to really help um, agencies understand what skill sets they would most benefit from having in-house 
and then actually going about the process of, of hiring folks. Yeah. Um, so kind of what does the, like how do we increase digital services capacity at, at all of the level of governments that need it? You know, you, you you mentioned just now. You know, uh, one 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 uh, question that that is on the table is, you know, how many people are eligible for these programs that have not signed up? That's something that um, the Gates Foundation uh, brought up when I talked to them a few weeks ago about uh, the donation that they made. Um, you know, uh, is, are, are there any? Um, you know, have you had have you started having those discussions about well, you know, what what are what are the things that we can you know encourage you know, states to do to make sure that they, they are finding those those people? Yeah, I, I, not yet, mm-hmm. candidly. Um, maybe day five. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say, you know, one thing that I'm particularly interested in that I've raised with the team and actually, like, had a chance to join a, a call with Gates earlier this week, um, I think user research could be extraordinarily useful in this space. Yeah. Uh, user research, I, a lot of the time that we think of user research and it's getting used more expansively but you know because we have limited capacity in that space we often use it just at the point that we're like trying to develop specific products um i think it can also be extraordinarily helpful to try to understand um go out and actually speak to folks and try to understand their why they are not applying and then and drive solutions in that direction i think we can make some assumptions that may or may not bear themselves out um, I imagine that the burden and the difficulty of applying, coupled with the uncertainty of receiving benefits, coupled with the uncertainty as to how long you will receive those benefits, may be a factor, mm-hmm. um, and that some of our existing work would go to alleviate that. But to the extent that there are other reasons why people aren't applying, um, it would be really helpful to know. So I don't think anything that we're doing now is not addressing a really critical problem, but there may be some other hidden nuggets out there that we could learn if we got a little bit more intentional about trying to um, talk to both kind of, I would say, frontline uh, service navigators or service providers, as well as, as folks who, who are eligible and uh, are not applying to find out what their reasons are. Yeah. You know, making it, making an impact. Um, that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the things you, you talked about at first. Um, you know, just, you know, as you're as you're moving into the, the spec center role, I mean, what's you know, is there a, is there a succinct way to, to sum up the the impact that you're you're hoping to have? Yeah, I will. You know, I think I have this running joke that everything I, I learned in my career, I learned as a public defender, um, and the most important thing I learned in my career was um, the keeping the human beings that we're trying to serve at the center of everything that we do. And I know that's that's a phrase that gets used a lot, um, but I. You know, working, I was a public defender in Miami. It obviously there was vast income disparity. Um, and I had a lot of clients who really would have benefited from government services and interventions far before they fell into the criminal justice system. Uh, and I, it did not escape me at all that the irony um, for many of my clients, and they said this to me directly, was the first time that anyone had actually tried to help them was, was me. And at this point, my job, I was a government-paid lawyer, and my job was to try to keep them out of prison. Um, that is not the best and most effective use of government funding and, like, so much lost opportunity amongst amongst my clients. Um, and I am constantly keeping my former clients in mind as I'm thinking about what can we do. So to me, the, the, the wonderful thing about the Beck's vision around impact um, is that we should use all of the tools that we have in our toolkit to try to maximize that impact. I happen to think that data technology and digital services are dramatically underutilized tools 
Um, but I will say the other thing that I've learned in my uh, across these years has been it's almost it is almost never that those tools alone are going to be the solution. They are tools that will help you get to a better outcome more quickly. Um, but it's usually a combination of policy change, process change, uh, kind of shift in focus to be more human-centered. Uh, and then these tools can come in to help with the ultimate last mile delivery. Um, so not having to be, you know, not working in an organization where the the imperative is use these tools, but the imperative is get this impact and then figure out which tools are most helpful to that is is frankly kind of the most exciting thing I, or most exciting task I've had in my career. Lynn Overman, the new executive director of the Beck Center at Georgetown University. You can read more about Lynn and the Beck Center at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. You can also subscribe to the Priorities Podcast at prioritiespodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, be sure to leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C., James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.